Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we have a guest. Andy, I don't believe we haven't had a guest <laughs> in like 18 weeks or something. Uh, who do we have with us? Uh, my good friend Nin is here to help us review Candyman. She's a horror enthusiast is, and uh, a film aficionado herself. Uh, so yes. she's going to be uh, chiming in on that. I've heard uh, off off the show, off the record, Andy and I have been doing a lot of talking about movies, as we often do, and I've heard hot takes from Andy uh, coming from Nin, so hopefully she brings oh, the thunder. And, uh, I know, you. yeah, no, you have, a, you have a sterling reputation, not on the Excellent. show, but at least in our personal relationships, I'm sure you'll be fine. Uh, for those of you joining us, yeah, uh, Nin's going to be joining us with Candyman Review, and I know... I know some of you get antsy about guests. It's going to be okay. All right. The last time we had a guest, it was great. It was great. That, that, that episode did great. All right. So everybody relax. It's going to be good. Uh, today, we are looking at Candyman. Yes, the Nina DaCosta horror has hit theaters. We took a couple weeks off. Part of that was because of me. I'll talk about it later. I won't talk about it later. But we're watching Candyman. All right. We also took a look at Annette on Amazon Prime. And yes, we watched Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm excited to talk about all of them. But because we took a week off, because my computer broke, we've got the show kind of jumbled this week. We're doing Candyman first, then Annette, then Shang-Chi. We're going to do news before all that. So let's jump right into it. First story, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, Mission Impossible 7 are delayed by Paramount amid COVID-19 concerns. This is definitely a bummer. It's definitely a bummer that things are getting pushed around again uh, for Delta variant, but it's not the only thing. I was just reading a rumor last week that uh, No Time to Die might get moved too again, which is nuts. Andy, why is everybody so shook up? Uh, so it's mostly because of uh, COVID-19. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is moving to uh, May 2022. Um, that movie is now almost three years delayed. Um, it's now competing with New Mutants for a number of delays. And uh, Mission Impossible 7 or 8, whichever one we're on, has been moved from May to September 2022 as, as well. And also, Jackass Forever has been moved to uh, January. January. Um, well, it's interesting because some films are doing really well despite the pandemic, the, like Marvel. But uh, I think a lot of these more niche um uh, niche audience films uh kind of they're just scared like they don't really have the the power like it seems like people like marvel like people just come out for marvel no matter what like hurricane covid no matter what uh but some of these other ones it seems like if people aren't going to the theaters in droves regularly it seems like they might struggle yeah, movies like this are in a weird spot because they don't do simultaneous release. Jackass might. I feel like I was reading something about that, but like, there's no way Tom Cruise movies are coming out at home. Like, he's all about you go to the theater to watch a Tom Cruise film. That's like his brand. Um, so they got to go where people are, right? And if people aren't going to the theater right now, they have to move to when people are going to the theater, and they just got to do it. Uh, I'm bummed. I mean, I I, I do want to see these films. <laughs> Okay, Andy, all right, yeah. Tell us how you really feel. Uh, okay, I'm not so much bummed about Top Gun because I've seen that trailer 8,000 times, but, I mean, Mission Impossible 7 is usually a good time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big fan of, of Mission Impossible, so, like, th that is a, a bummer. But that's only, like, three, that, like a three, four-month delay. Like, we are years behind now on Top Gun. Nin, I'm curious, are you going to the movies right now? Andy and I do, I, I mean, am. obviously, for the show. Okay. Actually, I'm trying to think of the last thing I went to go see in theaters because i went to the movies oh uh free guy I went to go watch free guy this weekend okay well hey we, we reviewed that a couple weeks ago what'd you think i liked it it was cute yeah it's not bad think it's not yeah. one i would revisit but it was definitely a cute watch yeah it's a, I, it's, it's a yeah 
went to get ice cream, cotton candy oh, nice. ice cream because I didn't have bubblegum, so. Ah, uh, that's a bummer. But. Yeah, bubblegum ice cream is definitely relevant and free guy. For those of you who haven't seen it, we reviewed it a couple weeks ago. It's not too bad. Go check it out. Our next story, uh, The Matrix Resurrections teases a full trailer on Thursday with a familiar choice. This is uh, this Thursday coming up. We're recording the episode on Tuesday, so September 9th. There is some kind of trailer dropping from The Matrix, and we know this because of a hot new website that just came out today. Andy, what's this about? Uh, yeah, so there is kind of a, a teaser for the teaser or a trailer for the trailer that came out today about The Matrix. And this kind of harkens back to an older time in cinema when uh, they used to do kind of these viral website campaigns. Uh, there was a great one with The Dark Knight, um, The Matrix, especially because The Matrix was about online and digital world. Th- there was like a several Matrix websites. Um, anyways, this this is actually a cool idea. So you go to whatisthematrix.com and there's two pills, a red and blue pill, obviously harkening back to the original film and you click one and you get an intro screen and then some flashes of footage it's very quick i mean you're seeing things for like a fraction of a second but it's creepy because it it uh the the dialogue includes the current time and i've watched it several times and whatever the current time is it it tells it and it's not like i mean i'm sure it's a computer program but it's like it sounds really authentic and it was really creepy like i saw it and i immediately checked the time and i was like whoa i probably wouldn't uh, have noticed it if my husband didn't point it out but <laughs> do you think if i play it on the show we'll get content flagged? yes absolutely. you do there's only clips though andy right that's what you said it's fine right facebook it's too won't long. flag this but uh I, facebook might flag it's, this it's, okay it's, yes it's, it's right, super cool though it, it's a gr- it's a cool idea um i've been wondering what why there hasn't there's been virtually no matrix marketing which has been really surprising to me up until this point yeah. uh but we will be getting a full like teaser or a full trailer on thursday so in just 48 hours we'll be uh then we'll be ready for the hype train for anybody who doesn't know, Andy has a history with being excited for Matrix films that I've only heard about because I didn't go to college with Andy. But word on the street is you were a bit of a fanatic, right? A bit of a fan. So this this might have been the biggest heartbreak in in my life in cinema cinema history. So in 2000, take yourself back to 2004, and uh, me and my friends were so excited about the matrix sequel and we saw every little thing we read every little thing and like when when the real trailer there was like a super bowl trailer that dropped in january we watched it frame by frame like thought up all these crazy theories so we did this for like six months and then we were kind of disappointed when the movie came out not because it's a bad movie but because we had hyped it for like six months and thought it was going to be like life-changing and and so now so because of that, like I try to just like pump the brakes on on the hype trains uh, every now and then. I'm so disappointed. This is what it's all about. The hype train's part of the fun. <laughs> so, all right. It's yeah. There's ahead, times then. that I just avoid trailers just because, like, I don't want. That's true. To yeah. build that up in my head and then just have it let down. So. Yeah, I've definitely well, learned to do that with uh, the Star Wars movies, uh, especially with doing this podcast through them. At some point, I realized for the new Star Wars films, I just watched the teaser and be like, I'm going to go see it anyway. I just don't want to see any more footage. Like the less yeah. I know, the better going in. See, I, and I, I do like a good hype train, but it's just not time yet. You know, like these because the, the footage today <laughs> is showing Bruh. flashes of this I, and people are freeze framing it. And that's yes. I, that's what will ruin it. Like, wait till we get it's, wait till yeah. we get a full trailer that has like full scenes and like actual dialogue and and like cool stuff like, instead of just like guessing what is and isn't happening half the stuff might not even show up in the movie they do this they like to do that and the time from his first heartbreak 
It's yeah. true. Yeah. It's you never forget I, your first. I appreciate you covered yourself, uh, your heartbreak line with cinematic heartbreak at the end there. Because for a minute, I thought this was going to be the most disappointment <laughs> you've ever felt in your entire life was waiting for the Matrix. Uh, to be fair. Okay, listen, I hear what you're saying. The full trailer's not out yet. You shouldn't get overexcited. But regarding the time to be excited, it's trending on Twitter, dude. Today. Today's the time. Like today. It, this is it. This is nah, part of the marketing campaign. Nonsense. Know, Thursday, 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 it should be an eruption. Nin, are you are you mildly excited about the Matrix? I mean, where are you I'm at? I'm excited the about the Matrix. I do like the okay. Matrix. It's great. Love I don't think I like it on the same level that Andy does, but <laughs> oh, okay. Real quick, Andy, just to be clear, you were excited about Reloaded, not not Revelations, right? Like that was. I mean, you were I was excited ex- about I mean, the sequel. I mean, I was excited for all of them at the, at the time. Yeah, because the hype for Re- Reloaded was definitely greater than Revelations for me. Yeah. But Revelations was the end. I don't know. Anyway, our third story. I'd spent way too long on this. Shang-Chi smashes Labor Day record at the box office with $90 million opening weekend. Second biggest domestic opening of the year, which is insanity. Not only because of the COVID and everything, but also because Disney did not spend a lot of money marketing or making this movie. And it crushed it anyway. Andy, what do you know about this story? Yeah, so Shang-Chi was a huge... Uh, box office success over the weekend, making $75 million over the three-day weekend, $90 million over the four-day Labor Day weekend, and actually took the record from, which I think was Halloween 2 from like 2007, 2009, mm. um, made like three times as much money. I'm surprised that they haven't had more movies come out over this break because it's uh, it completely killed it at the box office, made almost as much money as Black Widow, um, and also the, it does not have a Disney Plus uh, simultaneous release, so that'll be interesting to see how long, kind of, what kind of legs it has. Yeah, uh, to its credit, not releasing on streaming services means you have to go into theaters to see it. So if Disney's looking to make a splash at the uh, box office, it's easy to say, okay, we well, can't get it streaming, go see it. Right? It's just like, just like Mission Impossible and, and Tom Cruise's whole approach to making films. Um, I am. Listen, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm surprised by this. But I don't felt like I, I felt like I didn't see as much marketing for Shang Chi as I did for Black Widow. I felt like I saw way more marketing for like, you know, the final film in Scarlett Johansson's Marvel filmography, probably, than I did for like what's supposed to be our newest Avenger. And yet, it turns out it actually made a ton of money and killed it anyway, right? Are people excited for more Marvel stuff? Are they hungry for superheroes? What do you what do you what do you think this comes from? Where does I mean, this come from? I mean, I think Marvel just prints money now and people it's a bit like Star Wars. People will just come out to whatever and in, in a lot of ways this is moving forward into, you know, phase four, which is kind of a new start, uh, starting point for Marvel. And so we have a new hero, new heroes and new characters and what's and interesting to see how it's gonna tie into the rest of the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting what was said at CinemaCon last week uh, when that was going on. Disney CEO Bob Chapek has indicated the film. I'm reading right off here, so here it is. Uh, the, they, they said that Shang-Chi will inform the, inform the studio's release strategy going forward, which, you know, I think you could read into that. But then again, every movie a studio releases informs the studio's future releases, right? That doesn't really say anything. Uh, meanwhile, I did like Rolando Rodriguez, chairman of, chairman of the National Association of Theater Owners, saying that they should urge theater owners to do all they can to help it perform. Suddenly, uh, they're all on the Disney bandwagon, right? Like, as soon as the movie's not going to streaming, they totally want to help. But when Black Widow was simultaneous, it was like, we don't want this movie. It sucks. <laughs> I don't, I don't like the National Association of Theater Owners, Nin. That's the, that's the long and short of it. I think they're super lame. Uh, have you seen Shang-Chi yet? No, I haven't. Uh, mm. It is on my watch list, but I feel like I got a lot of ads for 
for it versus Black Widow. Like, I don't think really? I got as many ads on Black Widow as I did Shang-Chi. So. Well, I don't know. They did. They, I, I felt like I saw less and I read articles that said they spent less. So but I then, think I just between the two, I got crossed up. Plus, they advertised Black Widow for like. I think a I year also got um, ended up in a bunch of news articles where there was a lot of people that were angry about Aquafina. Oh really? Because oh. her, she has like, a, or she uses like a black scent. So there's the whole, there's arguments whether she was using black scent or it was just her accent or it was like Brooklyn accent. Yeah, I, something like that. We should probably tackle that on the show at some point. <laughs> I, Andy, do you feel qualified to talk about Aquafina's black scent? Uh, I, I can I research. I can do some, I can do some research. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> now that you said it out loud, I feel like I, I can understand why there would be articles about that. I feel like people would, yeah, huh. Anyway, we should move on to our first review of the show. I spent way too long on news this week. I'm sorry, guys. We were off. La- we were off last week. I wanted to catch up. Here it is. Uh, we are doing our first review of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this, which is funny because I don't feel like I know it as well as Andy does. But I'm going to take a stab at it anyway. The movie is Candyman. This is where it all began. The story of Candyman. Local character. He walk around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day. A couple of kids get razor blades in the candy. All right, so Candyman. Yes, uh, the story of a young up-and-coming artist in a Chicago suburb of Cabrini Green. Uh, Candyman is a sequel. It's definitely a sequel reboot, I feel comfortable saying. It's mostly a sequel, but it shares the same name as the original. Um, but it's a sequel to the 1992 film Candyman. Uh, I never actually saw that film. Andy did. And I think then you've seen it as well. Right? I've seen it a few times. <laughs> All right. So I never have. So I'm coming in real fresh on this. Uh, Candyman is the story of Anthony McCoy, young up and coming artist in Chicago, living with his girlfriend, Brianna Cartwright, uh, played wonderfully by Tiana Paris. Uh, one night, Anthony and Brianna are having her Brianna's brother over. He tells him a spooky story about the Candyman, right? A, a, a man who... Uh, was a janitor at a school and used to give candy out to kids. And one day a razor blade was found in one of the pieces of candy. Chicago police found out, went and found the candy man and beat him down in a most unjust fashion because as it turned out it wasn't his fault. The razor blades had come from somebody else and he was framed. And the candy man uh, very quickly becomes a kind of uh, a Bloody Mary figure in the community of Cabrini Green at that point. Uh, he, he, he is like a, an entity, right? An evil, uh, a horror slasher, I think in the most traditional sense, but more of a, more, more Bloody Mary rules. You say his name in the mirror five times and he appears a candy man, uh, Bloody Mary's three times. I'd attribute him more to like a, more like a Freddy Krueger than like a Jason Voorhees, right? He's a bit mystical. And, and the film really dives into exploring what that means. But for Anthony, uh, who hears the story, he gets inspired. He's been looking for something new to dig into with his art. So he travels to Cabrini Green the next morning with a camera to try to take some photos, maybe look at some settings and find some inspiration. He meets some people, he talks to some folks, and he discovers more about this Candyman story. And along the way, the line begins to blur between reality and fiction and what is and is not real. And suddenly our young artist discovers he is far more tangled up in this Candyman tale than maybe he ever intended to be. Uh, the film stars Yaya Abdul-Martin uh, II and Tiana Paris in our leads. It's directed by Nia DaCosta. It is a wonderful horror film. Andy, what do you think of Candyman? Um, so I'm a huge fan of this, this property. Um, I think there's a lot of great things and I think there's some things that 
don't quite work. I think it might grow on me on kind of multiple viewings because I think there's a little bit of, you know, viewing anxiety or just kind of that that, that hype um, about it. Uh, there's definitely, I think, its biggest issue is that there's too many ideas fighting for kind of prominence. Uh, there's this, it's a very kind of different interpretation of what Candyman is. Um, and, you know, it's Candyman as like an avenging angel, as like a representation of like, uh, black trauma um, as just the the slasher that comes because you invoked him. And these ideas are all present in the film kind of fighting. Uh, so I, I think narratively it's a little all over the place, but it, it does have a lot of mood. It has a really great score and it ha- does have some, some really kind of grisly scenes. Uh, it's not super scary. Like there, there aren't a bunch of jump scares, um, but it's not really that kind of movie. Uh, Nin, initial impressions of Candyman. What'd you think? So I actually ended up watching it twice, but oh, wow. it was mostly because there was some woman texting in the corner and she actually took a phone call during the movie. So I was just like, you're ruining my horror movie experience. It's the worst thing. But yeah. there was, um, I liked it. I will say that um, I'm in several horror movie groups and there was a lot of people that actually were upset about how it is, it's so woke, but it's <laughs> like, I mean, the first one also covers similar Issues, yeah, themes where it's just like the original Candyman was a slave that fell in love with a prominent per, uh, guy's daughter, and they end up murdering him because of that. Um, but as far as what I liked, I liked the new one. Um, I will say, I guess uh, there was a lot going on at times, so it felt like. It was kind of, I guess, in the first act for a lot of the movie, and then you kind of go into... Kind of the end. Yeah, the end. Like, yeah. It felt kind of abrupt, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. So I think, having not seen the original, I, I, I actually really like this uh, movie a lot. I think what I like the most about it isn't actually in the writing, it's the cinematography. Um, and we should talk about that at the end because it's, it's worth talking about. This movie has some stunning uh, directorial work by Nia DaCosta. But the writing is trying to handle a lot. It feels like there's like three or four films in what this movie is trying to do. And it's a little long. It's like, what, two hours 20? But it's um, nine. It's ninety minutes. Yeah. It's really short. Is it really? Yeah, oh I, thought it was, I thought it was much it longer. It needs but yeah, to no, be it's two 90. hours twenty. Yeah, like it's doing so much in there. Not only trying to cover like the Candyman mythos and the multiple iterations of that over generations, uh, which is is kind of talked about in the film, but also trying to juggle like a host of characters in a gentrified city. Uh, it's trying to handle art uh, critique it's trying to handle racism like there is a ton of stuff this movie is attempting to do and i hate i i I think its biggest downside is that it's just it's trying to hold too much right it's 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 a five pound pail and 10 gallons of water or whatever they whatever that phrase is so let's jump into it right uh first things first the plot you have both seen the original so you can kind of help me piece this together but the first time our artist hears about the Candyman is at this uh, kind of kind of get together, right, with, with, his, with his girlfriend's brother, and and he's telling her this kind of goofy story about uh, I don't remember her last name, Helen, this this researcher who was interested in this Candyman story who ended up going crazy, right, uh, and it's told of this wonderful shadow puppet look kind of thing that you can see in the trailers throughout the film, really fantastic, very artistic. Uh, I didn't know like that kind of story he's telling is the plot of the first film. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Com- I kind of like that they did it that way. Where, Because yeah. I would recommend watching the first one and then going back because they do reference a lot of the first one in the new one. But it's mm-hmm. definitely in the first one, the main character is a white woman, which in the second one, they obviously they only reference her. Yeah. And the things that she came across is like she was in our neighborhood and she was taking photos of people and like doing all this research and then she just went crazy and like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's really strange. And I I liked the way the film kind of grows that myth and then is is Anthony kind of goes to investigate the Candyman, uh, you know, conspiracy or whatever it is. Like he finds like there's what she was investigating a previous story. So he goes down that rabbit hole. What was she investigating? And then what was that related to? And you start to find these kind of like generational instances of people who are discovering this idea of, of, of a, a, a candy man in some capacity and, and being felt by it, right? Like people who go nuts or go crazy or get too tangled up in it. Um, it's a little like nightmare on Elm street three that way or two, I guess the kid who discovers Freddie and, uh, starts to learn more about him. And then before he knows it is like, wait, this, 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 this is too real. This is too much. Right. I, I didn't know I was this far down the rabbit hole. It's a, it's a through the looking glass kind of situation, but this movie handles it really well because it's very patient and it really takes its time, uh, which is weird because it does not feel like a 90 minute film. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the issues for me is that it, we constantly feel like we're in the first act. Yeah. Like, the fir- like the first two acts all feel like act one. Like we feel like we're constantly setting up, setting up, setting up. And then it just kind of jumps to the third one. Um, I will say the original is, is much more in the style of the traditional slasher. You know, it came out in 92, which means it was filmed in 90, So it's much more in, in the vein of things like Halloween, not uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, and it's a, a little bit more simple in that you, you say his name and he just, he kind of appears and, and murders you. I will say this mythos is a little inconsistent in all the movies. It's it's a little inconsistent of exactly what and why the Candyman <laughs> comes forward, um, and I think that's also a problem in this movie because it's it it can't it has trouble establishing its rules and then establish and then staying by them. Nin, any any thoughts on that? Because yeah, having having not seen any of them, I felt like this was a little jumbled. But yeah, it turned out finding out later Andy said yeah no there, there's there's some of this explained in previous films other stuff it's inconsistent yeah so there's actually three other Candyman movies which uh, two and three go off of the original as sequels but with yeah. the new one they threw those out because right. those are pretty yeah. bad so mm-hmm. <laughs> they just started with the original one and then start, continued the story from there which is mm-hmm. something that's similar what Halloween did yeah, with the new absolutely. one yeah um Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I, um, I, I was I, I was just trying to figure so, out where I, where I picked so up well. What one thing that I wanted to mention is you know I said there's a lot of ideas competing for for space here. One of them is is Anthony McCoy himself, uh, Yaya Martina Abdul II. He's got a long name. Uh, he's a long name. He yeah. he's slowly he's slowly kind of turning it into the Candyman himself. Which is a really interesting idea because his like he he gets stung by this bee and then like his hand starts to kind of rot and like it, it only gets worse his whole arm starts like, getting infected and he's like clearly kind of turning into <laughs> to Candyman and that's a great idea but like I said it's competing with like four other great ideas yeah it's it's it 
is trying to do a lot in the film. Like it, like I said, it, 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 on the one hand, you have a protagonist who is kind of becoming this very thing that he fears, which is interesting in itself. Like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 did that. That was the whole premise, right? You've also got a, a heaping dose of previous lore that you're trying to work in and build into, which is something like, you know, usually origin films are good at, right? Nightmare 1 or, or, uh, Halloween does that pretty good, right? Like, typically horror slashers follow these kind of basic formulas, and this one just tries to do a bunch, and and I think that kind of hurts it because it just feels like it's doing too much. I mean, you said it perfectly, and then like the first and second acts feel pretty tight. It feels like this puzzle box is going somewhere. There's a lot of mysteries, and then come Act Three, it's like it all has to come to a screeching head somewhere, and it doesn't really feel satisfying in most of the areas where you were interested. There were a handful of mysteries that I kind of wanted to solve. And by the end of the movie, I was like, I guess I got my answers, but I was so much more interested. Like the journey to get there was so much more interesting than the destination for me, mm -hmm. because it just felt like this kind of, who, who said it? We were talking to somebody about this movie. They said, yeah, it feels like there should have been, there was a half hour that was cut out somewhere. Like it, it, it felt yeah. like this movie jumped to like to conclusions in a weird way. Cause before that, the setup was so interesting. I'd be interested to see like an extended release or whatever, I guess the director's cut or something like that to see yeah. what ended up on the cutting floor. Cause yeah, it definitely feels like some stuff just kind of got cut out for time's sake and it sacrificed the film for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, characters motivations are like, are like drastically, sh at least one, one character in particular I can think of, and I bet you guys know who I'm talking about. Like throughout most of the film, uh, seems to have kind of their own course and is kind of doing their own thing. They're a little mysterious. But then at the end, like they come crashing in with like this all new motivation and suddenly they're they're like a totally different person. And I was like, man, I really did not see that coming. And I don't think anybody did because there wasn't yeah, a lot of setup I mean, for it. It just happens. I think if it is, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy we're talking about, but mm -hmm. I feel like they kind of tried to explain that, but it was just like, like they feature some of his, I guess, development at one part, and then there's like another brief one, and then it's just kind of like bang, yeah. like <laughs> right, and then suddenly out of nowhere, uh, here we are. Which it's you like... know, that's okay. Like uh, you know, there, there's a few mysteries in this film, and like any good mystery, right? There has to be a solution at the end. Sometimes it's not always going to be satisfying, and that's okay. What is satisfying, I think, is watching these characters kind of develop over time. Yaya Abdul is, is so much fun to watch in this movie. Like he's great. He's, he's this kind of tortured artist. who's just getting more and more inside his own head at the beginning of the film. He's very endearing. Uh, he's very hopeful. Like, Hey, I'm going to come up with something new. Um, and then by about the halfway point, he's off the deep end. And it's like, man, he, he doesn't know how to get back. He's, he's asking for help for people in his life. Like uh, it's, it's a struggle. It, it's the, they, they really run with that idea of art and, and, Having a studio and producing things that are meaningful. There's an art critic character who's got a whole thing that she talks about. Like, I think I think our our creators here, Anita Costa, is also executive produced by Jordan Peele and uh, the writer of the original work. I believe I forget his name. Uh, Win Rosenfeld, I think. No, you about, like the original, the original book or. Yeah, Clive Barker, I guess. With yeah, the Clive Barker. Story, right? Yeah, with the original story. Yeah, apologies. I keep referencing Nightmare, but that's a little bit of a. Even though he didn't also do. No, I, I, I liked. Uh, so, like you referenced Nightmare, in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, it's kind of like you. They see the people getting killed, but they don't see what's killing them, and that's kind of similar to this, where you see the killer in the reflections, but it's not like they don't see him there, other than a reflection. 
Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the the kill stuff is really effective. Andy, I feel like I've been talking forever. You got you got to have something to jump into there. Yeah. Right? So one big difference I think in the like I said the first the original is like a, is a real traditional slasher, but we also get kind of full fledged Candyman right from the beginning in that film. Kind of just like you would get like Jason or or Freddy or Mike Myers. They're like mm-hmm. at a hundred percent from the beginning. In this one, we we kind of build up to. Candyman. It's 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 definitely I think more of an introduction of a character. Like this almost feels like an origin story, and it does feel like we will get more films. But it, this the whole thing was like establishing and create almost creating the character as opposed to someone who's already established. Because in the first one, uh, Candyman is played by Tony Todd, who's who's a, he's a big he's like six five. He's got this big booming voice, and he's got this great dialogue, and he's just like you know he he does a lot of monologuing and like just like be my victim. Yeah, he, he's like, like, be with me, be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, and he's like swinging his hook around. It's a whole. I mean, it's like Shakespeare, that man. It's it, very it, iconic, it, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and we don't we don't really get any of that in in this movie, but we we kind of build to it. And like I said, I, I think this is setting up a franchise, and I think if this gets a second or third movie, I think those will probably be a little bit more focused. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I do want to talk about like the cinematography and the presentation. Um, this movie is has some really stunning set design. As one of the things I noticed r- right off the bat, um, a lot of the sets here are practical. I think they actually went and shot in places, but um, a lot of the buildings are really odd, really unique architecture. A lot of brutalism, a lot of concrete, and I know that kind of ties in with like the fine art angle of our lead uh, artist character. But it also harkens back to uh, directors like Stanley Kubrick, who traditionally used a ton of brutalist architecture in their work if possible. It reminded me of movies like A Clockwork Orange or even The Shining at certain points, especially with like one point perspective. Additionally, um, a lot of really creative camera work. Uh, The film opens with uh, inverted production slates, which already sets a really cool unique creepy tone along with some really fantastic philip glass music that i think came from the original film and quickly segments into like this upside down look of the city like this camera kind of slowly trawling across the streets as as we look at like cloud covered buildings that are upside down and inverted so they look right side up just really unique stuff and the film is full of this i mean even even in its its origin storytelling with these like shadow puppet kind of effects like Really fantastic visuals. Really great. Like I, I was glued to the screen for the film. Even in the stuff that was confusing. Like it just it's just a beautiful film to watch. Really fantastic work for what otherwise I thought was gonna be a slasher horror. Um the music's also tremendous. What do you guys think? Um well I, I was just gonna touch on the music. I'm I'm a huge fan of the the soundtrack of the original. And the original was by uh Philip Glass, who's of course done a lot of um film work and uh you know he's mostly he has this minimal the style of minimalism minimalist writing music and it's not him he's not uh he didn't score the new one but it's inspired a little bit by that you you get some really intense minimalistic and by the way minimalism and music usually means repetitive like you have repetitive sounding music repetitive ideas so that's we get a few really intense tracks like that, but it, but it's its own thing. It's not just like, you know, a copy paste of Philip Glass, but I really like the score. Yeah. That's really tremendous. Nin, any thoughts? Yeah. I really like the score. And then as far as the cinematography, there's that one shot with that one kill. It's kind of like, Oh yeah. They come oh, out and man. that one was really nice. 
Yes. Yeah. Really good stuff. Um, there's another great sequence. I mean, there's a handful of really cool sequences in this, uh, especially involving mirrors. That's a, that's a big oh, yeah. part of it. Obviously, the, the say say my name kind of thing uh, five times. Um, but there's a really great sequence in an elevator uh, that's all mirrors, like floor to ceiling, walls are all mirrors. Uh, and that stuff's, you know, it's not easy to shoot. Typically, you can see the camera and reflection. So it's hard to shoot a room full of mirrors and make it look cool. And like they totally do. Like it's it's simple, but like it's really effective to like bring you into the world of the film. It, it really works. Um, I also like the the costuming. It's really tremendous. Uh, and the color. Uh, the Candyman in this film wears this kind of like yellow raincoat. It's like this off yellow color. And at the beginning of the film, you don't see a lot of that. But then as he starts to kind of become more of an entity within the movie, our, our artist characters, Anthony's kind of looking at him more and, and painting, you start to see these hints of this yellow. And like before you know it, like they have, there there's a bathroom scene and the wall in the back is painted yellow or a character is wearing a yellow polo. Like it's really consistent. Meanwhile, Anthony, our lead has a red hat that he wears all the time. And as the film goes on and Anthony becomes less of himself and more into this Candyman mythos, you see less of the red. It's crazy. Like it's really simple stuff, but it's really effective visual storytelling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, no, I think, I think the visuals of, of this are really fantastic. There's some really kind of I, iconic scenes. Um, and it, and it, it's pretty gruesome. Like some of the, uh, there's a lot of body horror, you know, if the, it's not like jump scare, scary, it's just body horror, scary. Yeah, for sure. It's a hard R definitely. Uh, I guess, uh, to wrap this up, cause we've been talking about this for a long time as a new slasher film i do feel like the mythos around our, our slasher character is a little a little a little confusing in this one for the average person but overall i feel like i understand most of the motivations behind Candyman. i just i genuinely don't get exactly how his powers work that's the one mm -hmm. the one thing i don't actually know if you say his name five times to kill you or just other people in the room does it always work or just sometimes like the movie's a little inconsistent. You put out a second film, you tie all those knots up like problem solved. Like we're, we're great. Right. We're, we're on our way. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I, I agree that that I think that's been and that's a problem in, in the first film is the original film uh, also yeah. um, because there are there's the character. But then a lot of times just horror tropes are thrown in just cause, and then they kind of make everything not make sense. Um, I, I think it does need to kind of establish what its rules are and are not, and just clarify them a, a little bit more yeah. moving forward, which like, I'm pretty like, this was also very, had a good box office opening. So I, we might uh, get another film. Yeah. That would be super cool. Nin. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? same as Andy. It's like in the first one where it's kind of inconsistent, where it's just like, does everybody in the room die? Is it just you? Like, Candyman shows up and you're standing there, but somebody else shows up, so they're also murdered. Um, but yeah, yeah, hopefully, I mean, it was set up for a sequel, it seems, but I do hope that they kind of further explain like what exactly it is, because <laughs> yeah, absolutely, like it just. That's the one thing for, for a good slasher to work. You, it's got to have pretty clear rules, like typically, right? Um, like, you know, Freddy Krueger gets you when you're sleeping. Doesn't work if you don't believe in him. Jason Voorhees seems to always come back forever. There's really nothing you can do about it. Don't have sex in the cabin in the woods. Michael Myers, he, I just, I don't know. He's just, he's coming for Laurie Strode. Candyman, 
a little bit more unique, but that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes yeah. it new, right? Like and that's what I makes it different. Yeah, that's kind of interesting too, because all of the the other slashers, like they're very iconic. They all like have essentially the same face or mask for most of the movies, or similar, because Jason has multiple masks. It's true, um, but like you get the gist that it's the same person, and they've set it up to where there's been different Candyman or Candyman. Yeah. So it's yeah, like a kind different of across guy. time, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I also have a, a, a small crackpot cin- cin- cinema, cinema theory that, that most slasher films are classist, and this one technically checks that box, but also leans into racism as horror, which is exciting because it's different. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I'll talk about that some, some other time. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Candyman? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, both for fans of the original and for people new new to the property, um, it, it's it's not perfect. It's got some some issues narratively, but I, I think it has good. Like we said, it's got great cinematography, good score, good performances, and it's hopefully kind of the beginning uh, of a franchise or, or trilogy or something. So I think there's more to come, but I, I think it's a good ju- uh, jumping in point. Yeah, then what do you think? Yeah, I definitely recommend. Candyman, and I do recommend watching the original one first. So if there's anything you don't understand, maybe you can get a better idea of it. But I do recommend uh, this new one. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I watched it twice, but because some woman answered her phone (laughs) while we were in the theaters. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, yeah. During my second watch, somebody was texting, and that one too. So I was just like, "Wow!" I don't know what you don't understand about horror movies. uh well i'm sorry people are people look people people who listen to this podcast know my opinions on other people and movie theaters. it's a whole thing andy too we're all on the same page we're, we're with you in 100 uh, i'm in the same boat having not seen the original Candyman film i can say definitively like this movie's cool you should go see it i really enjoyed it uh, especially if you have any passing interest not only in like horror and slashers uh, and stuff that's new and exciting in this industry but also just like good cinematography like really I can't wait to watch this movie again just because I want to enjoy like the shots, like really creative stuff. Uh, really tremendous. That's Candyman in a nutshell. Uh, we should move on to our next film before then. Nin, I know you said you got to oh, go. Yeah. I hope we didn't keep I'm you heading too out. Yeah. No okay? Worries. okay. No, I'm good. I'll be well, thank fine. you for joining us. I appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks for having yeah, me. Absolutely. Uh, tell your friends any, any shout outs while you're on, while you're on the podcast. I mean, the, the floor is yours. Now the time. Uh, no, I mean, I guess I'm going to the, so Texas Theater does a thing on the first Tuesday of every month called Tuesday Night Trash. Is that Gen- any good? I've never been. They're fun. Uh, yeah. It's generally B-horror movies, so it's my thing. <laughs> but uh, they're fun, and it's a free movie night, so. Nice. I do love the Texas Theater. Andy, we should go to a Tuesday Night Trash sometime. We should. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good outing. They're yeah. doing that tonight. I think it's, I forgot where, tonight, it's like Blood Sport or something. I'll have I don't remember right now, but the Jean Claude Van Damme film, Blood not Sport. that no, one. I, There's, yeah, I, I've seen the ads for it. They'll usually get like a VHS or something terrible and just run it. It's great. Yeah, like yeah, trash. No, it's, it. yeah. it's very fun. I need to go check yeah. it out. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Oh, I really appreciate it. We'll see you. Yeah. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye, bye. All right, Andy. Uh, now our listeners are about to be subject to. We should keep this brief, right? Because I know this episode's running long, and <laughs> yeah. it's a unique movie. And I, I, who's taking the summer on this? Me or you? I, I didn't even. I can, I can take it. I can do you mind? It. I'm sorry. I between. Oh, okay. Yeah, I will do. Go it. ahead, my, please. My, my best. You can do it. Um, 
Annette. One, two, three, four. So Annette is a new film musical from French director uh, Leos Carrex, uh, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, um, with featuring music by Sparks. Uh, Adam Driver is this um, kind of foul mouth comedian, kind of a shock jock kind of person, and uh, his beautiful wife Anne, played by Marion Cotillard, is a is an opera singer, this incredible soprano. So they're they're kind of these. It's a beauty in the, in the beast situation, and they come together they, and they have this romance, and uh, they're kind of the talk of the town because there's there's such kind of diverse people. Um, they eventually have a a child who's the, this this singing wonder as well, and all all the time there's kind of this darkness flowing underneath the film. This is very bizarre. Like I didn't realize I didn't I didn't see a trailer about this at all. I just kind of heard it talked about. Yeah. Um, so it it's kind of a surrealist musical. There's some really kind of bizarre numbers, but the music is actually really catchy. I've been listening to the soundtrack kind of since we watched it a, a week or, or two ago. Um, but but basically, it's it's a Hollywood story of this kind of doomed to fail star-crossed Hollywood couple who has this kind of amazing child star, but then there's issues there as well. And in the meantime, we, we have like mu- this really great music <laughs> that accompanies uh, all that's happening on film. It's, it's really kind of out there, but it's kind of growing on me over time. So Zach, what do you think? So I'm in the same boat. I didn't know a lot about this movie. I knew it had Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard in it. I knew it was directed by Leo Carra, who is the uh, a French director who directed Holy Motors and has not directed anything in English. This is his first film. I knew he was surreal. And yeah, I know when it's Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, it's going to be unique because those those are two actors and actresses who don't, you know, they're, they're not in Marvel movies. They're not just taken. <laughs> I say that and Marion Cotillard is definitely in a DC film, uh, but you know, Batman is different. That's Christopher Nolan, Batman. That's not even like, that's not even like real DC, right? That was like, yeah, that yeah. was like cinema <laughs> DC. All right. And the two of these actors are going to be good stuff, right? That's what they're about. So I knew this was going to be something unique. I hadn't seen a lot of trailers. I jumped in with both feet and the first like 45 minutes for, I mean, I, I, Andy, I shot you a message. The first like half hour, I was like, this has an okay start. And then it gets real bumpy and I'm not really into it. And then right at the 45 minute mark, Right, it and that takes a step away. It reminds you, hey, this is something unique. You might enjoy this. And for the rest of the film, I was like glued to the screen, man. <laughs> I, dude, I and I'm in the same boat. I am not really, I think, any kind of dedicated fan of this movie. But I, I have continued to think about it since I saw it, and I'm really glad we have the opportunity to talk about it on the show because, like you said, uh, I don't know who the hell to recommend this movie to. <laughs> Cause it's really weird, but it's super cool. Like, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. Uh, where do we, I mean, where well, do we get started here? Well, I was going to mention like one thing. So it's really long. It's two hours, 20 minutes. Like it, it is a long one. And that's, there are, that's the two hours, 20 film. I was yeah. thinking of not candy, man, this movie. Yes. Yeah. And there are extended sequences of like, like his, his standup routine. And that's part of what makes the, the beginning very long is you get like his whole standup routine or like 10 minutes of it. Uh, 
at the beginning and it's just it's kind of hard to get to at the same time it starts with this incredible number called uh, uh shall we start or can we start so, yeah and, so shall we start or something like that yeah which is yeah. great and super catchy yeah great opening number to a film like and great. it's a, and it's a huge like long one take long take you know yep. all going all from like the inside of this music recording studio out onto the street right the paparazzi and it's like it features it's wow yeah this one take long opening sequence features our director starting our musicians who are the composers of the film who very quickly leave the studio while singing to meet our lead actors and actresses who then parade down the street and ultimately get in a car to start the film so it already starts in like a meta capacity it's like hey we're we're creating something different here you know, come with us. And from there, like you said, we get a whole lot of Adam Driver's kind of stand-up routine, which is a, like a Bo Burnham, Kanye West style, like kind of monologue delivery on stage. He wears a goofy outfit. He has backup singers and it's, it's, it's very much, it's weird. And the movie kind of settles from there, right? Like then he goes and meets his girlfriend, who's this opera singer. It's through the stand-up he kind of uh, indulges his character's motivations. We find out about him. And from there, the movie seems to be pretty much on track, right? The two of them are in love with each other. The paparazzi don't understand it. How could this crude stand-up comedian and this wonderful soprano be together? Uh, and that's when the movie got boring. That From there, I was like, okay, this is kind of dull. Um, but then they have the baby Annette. Right? Baby Annette. It's the Baby best. Annette. Baby Annette. Baby Annette. Yes. Which I need, I I need, I, I'm going to need you to send me the track that's in because I went looking on the soundtrack and was like, I don't remember where that is exactly. But. Yeah. So, so th that's one of the things. So the soundtrack, it's it's not a lot of like traditional kind of musical numbers. You, you have like these rock songs, but then you also have things that are very operatic, very um you know like steven sondheim-esque uh kind of writing and it's it's the styles are all over the place which is a good good thing makes it really interesting uh but it's definitely just not not a traditional musical music wise as well yeah i know it's funny because the, the only thing i know about sparks and i should know more because i've always heard i've heard they're great but the thing i know about them is they're the subject of edgar wright's documentary sparks right yeah. Uh, that and I know because of that. Oh, hey, they're a big deal in the music world. But otherwise, I have not heard of them. So to see them surprisingly open the film, and it says music by these guys, I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of a neat. You know, it's kind of a neat introduction to me going to see that documentary at some point. Mm -hmm. I know they're a big deal, um, but I hadn't really been familiar with their music until this film, which is very fitting. It's very unique, very different, um, but very exciting. Uh, I want to talk about <laughs> kind of Adam Driver's role in this film. He is, I think, our protagonist, right? He's he's our yes. main character, uh, and he has quite the journey. Uh, it is it is a a bit of a surreal dip into celebrity, right? And what it means to be a celebrity. This is modern day, by the way. I want to say this is not like you know some weird setting or anything. This is taking place in I think twenty twenty one. That's when this is all supposed to be happening. Uh, but it's it's a look into celebrity and paparazzi. Uh, it's a look into fatherhood and being a husband. Uh, it's a look into being, um, you know, being somebody with talent, some some somebody that people look up to, and ultimately like what that means. Uh, but also, it's a surreal musical. So <laughs> when Annette comes into the picture, I mean, it, uh, should we even talk about? <laughs> yes. I yeah. I, I I read a review. <laughs> I read a review. That... 
I'm like, uh, I don't even, because I don't, like, I didn't know going in and it was better for it. So I almost hate to give it away, but we should. It, it's, it's just a review show. By God, you're right. Okay, Andy, go ahead. So uh, Baby Annette, uh, which has this wonderful, wonderful voice, is play, played by a puppet, a marionette. Yes. And like and like it's like the only one in the the whole movie. It, it's a very it's kind of a bizarre choice. Uh and I I can't say it completely works, but it like no one and no one like, you know, references it. No one treats treats baby in it any different than a human child. But it's a bizarre choice to have this like puppet baby for for the film to represent the child. I can think probably production wise it was probably a really like yes. it's easier to, to oh, do that sure. than to work with a real child or a C, yeah. or CGI child. Um but it it was just it's kind of bizarre. It I mean there's a lot of surreal things in this film and that's even like that just adds to it. So you have the this puppet baby that's you know with this wonderful voice is you know launching a career uh because because of it. it it's it's bizarre but it's it's yeah it's, for the it's really unique i i did not see that coming and nobody in the film i mean they, everybody plays it straight and because we're working with actors like adam driver Marion Cotillard, and also uh worth mentioning simon helberg who plays i don't yeah the okay, accompanist yes, in this film I, I meant previously you you would know him from the big bang theory he's one of the goofy sidekick dudes howard wallowitz oh, i think right. is his name i didn't watch a lot of big bang theory dude he's super good in this movie He's really good in this movie. And like, I've only ever known him from CBS sitcoms, right? Like I was very impressed. Yeah. He plays a wonderful yeah. accompanist has, has, has a number of musical numbers that he handles brilliantly. Um, I, for everybody that's in it, you'd think, okay, they're, they're working with like a puppet. That would be goofy, but like, no, it's played artfully and it's played straight. And everybody in the film respects it. Nobody talks about her being a puppet. They talk about her as if she's a real girl. Um, cause she is in the world of the film. We just see her as a puppet. Like only the audience sees her as this kind of marionette character. And you get some really cool, um, really interesting set pieces built around this because she is not actually like a functioning human on screen. They're able to do some unique things with her presentations. When she sings, she's kind of lifted up into the clouds. The moon comes out. There's these really cool um very theatrical uh set pieces that they use to tell these stories um at one point adam driver's character is washed up on a beach and like it's very clearly a stage like it's it is not a real beach at all but it's not supposed to be like it's it's supposed to have this kind of meta presentation of theater and cinema like crossing over one another and it kind of works like in in a way that i didn't expect i i didn't think i would be kind of pulled into it in the way i was but it's it's genuinely hypnotizing at times at least to me somebody who watches a lot of movies andy what do you think yeah it, like i said it it was a little slow for me and because it was so weird and i think it's just because i was blind blindsided by it like it, it's like if you saw a charlie kaufman film you know something like eternal sunshine or being john malkovich or synecdoche new york or adaptation or any of those like really bizarre surrealist films and yeah, no one like right. get prepped you or primed you for it you'd be like what is this um and that's how this is too i think i just needed i should have watched a trailer and usually it, it's great if you don't watch a trailer but i i felt like you need to know what you're getting into to kind of uh, appreciate it uh a little bit more but at the end of the day we do have this classic hollywood story and you know i was reminded of things like uh, moholland drive you know and another the hollywood mystery because that that's what we have they have this kind of hollywood beauty and the beast power couple that uh 
you know, everyone is just like, wow, this is so bizarre. Like she's way too, you know, successful and attractive for him. And he's this like kind of like gross, unkempt, uh, crass crass comedian. comedian, And and yet they work and we all adore them. All this, you know, and with, and, and it references, I feel like there's a reference to some real, real life Hollywood mysteries, which I don't want to get into because it'll be kind of a spoilery. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a Hollywood story. It's an LA story at, at the end of the, the day, told in this very uh, bizarre musical form. I guess I don't I don't want to talk too much more about it. And I know we need to move on to Shang Chi, so I'm curious, Andy. Uh, I want to have a quick conversation. Who is this movie made for? Who is supposed to see this? Because I I can't nail down. I mean, really, cinephiles is easy, right? Yeah, the- yeah, theater, theater people. majors, the- yes. uh, musical like, theater, <laughs> musical there, theater. I don't really know who else. I think it's. I think it's taking. I mean, obviously, I think it's taking aim at the Hollywood machine, right? Like, uh, and and, but For I don't sure. know, like, to what end people are supposed to see that. And maybe that's what good art is, right? Like they, maybe good art isn't necessarily aimed at any one person. Maybe it's just something a creator makes because they believe in it. But a lot of creators had to come together to create this feature. Amazon prime bought it for a reason, right? Like they, they believe in this. I want to recommend this movie. I don't know who it's made for. I would definitely people who like love experimenting who like yeah. experimental films or who are looking to see things out of the ordinary or something different, you know, the, the cinephile or just someone who's like, you know, w- just really open-minded and, and willing to, t- to watch something. Yeah. yeah bizarre. I think you nailed it so perfectly with Charlie Kaufman. Cause the first time, the first time I ever saw being John Malkovich, I didn't watch a trailer. I heard it was cool. I saw it on like an IMDb list and I was in high school and was very ignorant at the time. When I say this, I torrented it on the internet and, uh, I was, yeah, like the first 15 minutes, I was like, this movie's not what I expected. And then it just gets weirder. And like, I, but that's such a great experience. So it's, it's unique, I guess, in a word and that, and, uh, I guess Andy, any more thoughts or four recommendations? <laughs> Andy, would you no, recommend I think I Annette? So <laughs> this is a good movie that really? I don't think I would re- oh, recommend man. to anyone. Okay. I can't, I can't. I can't, I, well, I just don't, or I'm going to recommend it with a ton of caveats. Like, you know, I, I, I might share this with like, you know, the people at the school of the arts that I, that I work with, you know, um, that kind of crowd. I, I would definitely prep someone say, you know, it's a musical. It's really weird. It's yeah. kind of a bizarre one. It's long, it's long. It's surreal. Uh, if that, if that sounds like something you'd be into, then go right ahead. But most people will the average film cinema goer is not probably no. not someone I would recommend. This I, to. I, I feel like if I it. went down the list of people in my life who, who listen to this show that I know and, and watch films based on recommendations, 90% of them would, would not like this movie. They'd probably get through it. I feel like they'd watch it, but they'd, they'd be like, come on. Like that is not my speed. And I, I don't know what to tell you. I, 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 I like this movie. I actually do want to recommend it, but it's, it's for people who are willing to take a chance for sure. You gotta be willing to take a plunge on something different. Like you gotta, you gotta buy the ticket and take the ride on a net. And it's it's a bit of a slog at two hours twenty. It's a bit too long. Uh, I'll be honest, like for sure. Uh, but it is very rewarding if you can stick it out. I think I think the opening number is gonna drive you through the first half hour. You just gotta wait to right around that forty five minute hour mark, and the movie starts to turn into something different. So that's a net, uh, a really unique film. I'm really glad we had the, had the opportunity to talk about it here. I wish we could talk about it more, but the fact is, Andy, we're gonna get to the goods. The reason everybody tuned in this week, right? 
Shang-Chi and That's the Legend right. of the Ten Rings. So you're going to be taking the summary on this one. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, whenever you're ready, man, take it away. All right. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. So this is the latest entry from Marvel. This is kind of the beginning, official beginning of phase four. Uh, we're introduced to uh, a new hero um, played by Simu Liu, uh, who's goes by Sean at the, at the beginning of the movie. Uh, him with his good friend, Katie played by Aquafina are valet drivers. Uh, they have this lowly job in, uh, I guess it's New York and, uh, you know they're just kind of wasting the, their lives. They're having fun. They're good. They're good friends. Um, they have this this dinner very early on where they have some other friends who are kind of judgmental about their jobs. And hey, you guys are you know you're not living up your, your to your potential. You could be doing so much more. And they're like whatever we like what we're doing. And so they are just going about their lives. They're on this bus, and all of a sudden, Sean gets attacked by like these ninja assassins, and he, he goes from being you know Mister Nobody to being this like kung fu master who fights all of them stops the bus from from crashing and is just has these incredible fight scenes on this bus and and it's kind of the cat's out of the bag that he's sean is a lot more than than he says he is um and turns out his name is shang chi and he comes from this kind of this very uh storied past uh controversial father figure and mother um, who have this epic love story and uh, the mother the mother suffers a tragedy uh, Sean be- be- becomes a warrior to get revenge and there's a lot going on in this I'm trying not to give it too much away um, but basically uh, uh, Shang-Chi has to reconcile his past he's been running from it he has to face his father face you know there are people coming after him and his sister so he, he ends up going back to uh, Macau back to China to you know make sure everyone's safe see what's going on confront uh, his father and see exactly what he's kind of supposed to do in this uh, you know confronting his past instead of running for him that's essentially what this story is uh, meanwhile we get tons of action because it's a Marvel film it's a comic book film and it, it's a kung fu film as well we have a ton of uh stars from hong kong cinema we have uh, uh tony leung uh i was about to say aquafina, not aquafina uh new, newcomer uh mung er jang who is uh plays his sister uh shaling uh she apparently this is her first movie ever and she, she's amazing uh she she does a lot, a lot of the, the fights as well uh, as well as uh fala chen and michelle yo who's been in uh, you know, a star of Hong Kong cinema for 30 years. Uh, so a r- really an incredible cast uh, of Asian A-listers. And that's, <laughs> I think that's enough story. That's what we have going on. Uh, so I actually Zach, really what do you think? Um, I'm not going to say I liked it more than I thought I would. I didn't know going in. I mean, this is supposed to be Marvel's next Avenger, right? Like a newest Avenger they've been touting in the marketing. Um, and I don't know the story. I, 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 felt before this i could definitively say when i think of the avengers i don't think i mean even the comic book version right like aside from the mcu when i think of the avengers i don't think of shang chi like i just don't i I don't think of him as any kind of like a-list hero he's like a comfortable b-tier right like that's that's why i put him like a black widow hawkeye kind of spot but after watching this film dude way more interested in shang chi i want to see a sequel i want to see more like (laughs) this is good stuff and it's 
it's an origin story like you've seen a thousand times, but it's told in a unique setting, some unique characters, and honestly, some unique formatting. This movie does a, a lot of clever use of jump cuts to kind of move efficiently through a plot, right? Our characters will be at work one day, and then next scene, they're at dinner. Like, there's no going home. There's no getting ready. They just jump from one to the other. It actually happens a few times in the film, and it's effective. It's unique. Uh, and that's just in basic storytelling. Shang-Chi goes to a number of settings and locations and has some really, really good actors and actresses in it that hold up a plot that, while at times might be just a little thin right in the middle, ultimately has a really satisfying beginning and a very satisfying ending. I like this movie a lot. So let's jump into it. Uh, what's the best place to start talking about? I guess our plot? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I think I for, I forgot to to mention it's called and and the legend of the ten rings. There are the, so there are these kind of like ten rings of power which his his father owns or or has, and he's he's been alive for like you know a thousand years or whatever, and they kind of make him in, invincible or most powerful, and he's kind of rules with an iron fist. He's he's kind of has this criminal organization that, that he's wondering. So the ten rings are are a big part of. Uh, everything that that's going yeah. on as Den- well. Tenors are definitely important, but you'd forgive us for not knowing that because while the film implies that like the, the and the legend of the Ten Rings will be a really big part of the film, the Ten Rings are a huge part of the film, but the legend behind them actually isn't that delved into. It's mostly about Shang-Chi, right? He's literally the first thing in the title, makes sense, but it leaves just a little mysticism behind him. And I like that because it sets us up for the future, right? We have an idea of how strong this, these these rings can be, but where they come from, how they work, that is another mystery entirely. Yeah, the, this is kind of a, this is more of a fantasy film. This is closer to something like Doctor Strange. It's a mixture of action and, and fantasy, uh, which is very different from a lot of other Marvel stuff that's very grounded or more in the kind of sci-fi comic book area. This is much more fantastical. We have like you know, you have the Ten Rings and other kind of fantastical beings. You have people that have been alive for thousands of years. Uh, so it's just kind of a different mm-hmm. kind of really Marvel is. film. So I guess let's jump into, I, I do want to talk about our actors and actresses, right? Um, Simu Liu is that how you say it? Uh, he is yep. our lead. I have not seen him in literally anything. It's actually been a pleasure uh, to find out more about him since we saw the film. Uh, he's very active on social media. Uh, he was the uh, most recently, I think he he was one of the main characters in the television show Kim's Convenience, which ultimately didn't last. And I've really been enjoying, he's been posting stock photos that he appeared in. Have you seen those, Andy? It's great. Yeah, so so <laughs> no, apparently at some point in his, in his early career, he did a stock photo shoot like for like a hundred bucks. And since then, you can find all the stock photos online and they've been on like textbooks and stuff. And he's posting them on Instagram like, awesome. Really glad to see these are coming back. Like now that I'm in a film that's actually going somewhere. But he's really tremendous. Uh, he's a ton of fun in this movie. I mean, obviously he's in shape for the role. He can hang on the action just fine, which is a challenge. Lots of really good action in this movie. Um, but he's funny and he's charismatic and he's interesting. And for otherwise being a total newcomer, um, he's really good. Aquafina's great as like a side character. She's a ton of fun. She plays Kate, kind of his good friend, and also valets with him. And she's really good. Michelle Yeoh and Tony Leung. Uh, Leung? I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Excellent. Leung. Leung. Really good. Really good, dude. Both really solid. I mean, man. Yeah, a lot of pit. A lot of people are saying that uh, Tony Leung is uh, kind of stealing the show. He's kind of the he's out acting every, everyone on on camera. He, he and he's kind of uh, you may have seen him more recently in the Ip Man 
Eatmon uh, yeah. Kung Fu series. Uh, he's been he's been an I mean he's also a staple of Hong Kong cinema as well. You've probably seen him in uh, he was in uh, a couple of Wong Kar Wai films, uh, Lust Caution, and oh, I can't think of the other Chunking Express. He's been in a lot of uh, Hong Kong hits that y- you might know over here. And Michelle Yeoh, of course, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and a ton of action films mm. between now and then yeah he's super good uh tony Leung, uh tony leung uh plays shang's father uh that's that's kind of his role and he is the originator at least in this film of the ten rings uh shang chi would be inheriting them from his father but his father uh he has kind of a different intention for for how the ten rings should work and what they should do and how they should be used and shang chi meanwhile isn't even sure he wants anything to do with them at the beginning of the film because he knows that they're this thing his dad has and he just you know he wants to go valet cars he doesn't want to fight he just wants to stay far away from stuff but that offers a lot of really good opportunities for good settings for really good kung fu and good action and i do want to talk about that andy what do you think of the action scenes in this movie uh the action stuff is top notch you know you have all these really complicated fight scenes very fast with uh, action lots of fast punches and kicks yeah it's a it's a little too fast. Sometimes it's it's a little hard to keep up with sometimes. But it's it's it also reminds me of uh you know a lot of Jackie Chan films where he would he would do the fights, but he would also do lots of stunts. Like he, he's like jumping over walls and under this, and you know kind of in in and out of really small spaces like car windows that sort of thing. So like the fight on the bus has a lot of that where he's like swinging around the poles and like the luggage rack, uh, very nimbly and like that's very much a throwback I think to uh, uh Jackie Chan yeah. Uh, style. Uh, the- Filmmakers uh, cited Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Kung Fu Hustle, uh, The Matrix, the Ip Man films, and Jackie Chan movies as influence for like the Kung Fu here. And I should say, stop saying Kung Fu. I don't know if it's properly Kung Fu, but the fight scenes. Uh, and they're super good. Also, a few of them feature like the classic uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like wires, right? Where our characters kind of float elegantly through the air. Dude, and that stuff's so cool. And I hope stays in universe. I would love to see a mashup film where another character directly asks Shang-Chi, like, dude, how are you floating <laughs> around like that? Like, cause it, it look, dude, it looks so yeah. rad. And I haven't seen that, I don't think, in a Marvel film, not in that style. I'm sure they've done wires before, but like, I've, I haven't seen them lean into like, hey, we're gonna try to pay homage to like these older films, this older Eastern style of filmmaking. Like, it's really neat. It's really cool. And additionally, like there's a ton of Chinese mythology that's baked in here too. I mean, lots of like really cool settings. They, they, they go to a number of different places in the mountains. There's a bamboo forest at one point. There's waterfalls. There's cool mythical creatures. Like, I was really pleased by like the visual distinctions that they, they managed to take in this film. It's not just like your, your normal, Oh yeah. A guy lives in New York and is having a tough time. Has to go, has to go fight the world kind of stories. Like it really goes to some unique places. Yeah. It, it's very authentic to uh, Chinese culture and uh, Chinese mythology. A lot of this film is actually in Chinese. Like you're going to have to read a, uh, quite a bit of, of subtitles especially towards uh the beginning uh that you know and all these actors speak english they could easily do it in in english but it's you know it's it's an homage of like just respecting the, the culture and, and the language is a big part of that so a lot of this movie is in in chinese as well but yeah it's a, a lot of other iconography goes along with it is that you'll yeah. see in the, i in the i was really interested uh to kind of see how this tied into the comics and like the inspiration uh, you were quick to point out that the 10 rings in the comics are rings for fingers. They're not like these like gauntlet kind of things that you see in the film, right? 
Yes, yeah, so yeah, I I read that somewhere that they're originally yeah they're, they're rings that go on your fingers, but that's a little bit too too similar to uh kind of right. the gaunt the Infinity Gauntlet, and so they changed it and to these like armbands, man, which look yeah, pretty cool I, too. I'm sure I'd have to read the comics, I guess, to learn more about like the individual rings. I'm I'm sure they're cool, but like the the idea of these kind of like gauntlet, almost like training rings, like you'd see for fighting, like these weighty kind of things is so cinematic they look so cool and i love not only when they're just like on somebody's arms but like the actual look of the rings in action they like crackle and spark with this like electric power and they just like whip around destroy like they're so cool looking and i love uh the the distance the difference between uh his father in the film who when he possesses the rings they kind of have this like blue energy to them uh, and then when Shang-Chi gets them, as you may have seen in the trailer or the poster, they're kind of like a gold red. Um, love the visual distinction. Very strong. And that extends to the rest of the color palettes of the film, right? Shang-Chi's colors are often like a red, gold, uh, maybe like a white, very traditional kind of Chinese colors. Meanwhile, his father are going to be wearing black and blue through most of the film. Um, simple stuff like that makes for really unique storytelling. Like, and I, I love the presentation of it. It just feels, it feels more thought out than, you know, a handful of other origin films. The one I immediately jumped to, I think uh, is, is Captain Marvel to hold this against and say like, well, that, you know, look at like Captain Marvel it just felt a lot of paint by numbers. It's unique, but ultimately like it just kind of checks the same box as a lot of the other origin films have. This one feels really like its own beast and much like much more of a standalone film. You could comfortably watch this by itself, having seen no other Marvel film and you would get it. Like, I don't think you'd be, I don't think there's anywhere that would be particularly confusing to you. Yeah. One, one criticism of, of Marvel is that, you know, there's 22, 23 films now. Film um, Good God. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what, where, where do you even start? But phase four is, is a good starting point. If you've missed the last, 11, 12 years of cinema, and and Shang-Chi is a, a great starting point as well. You have a new character, newly introduced, and he's not, he's just not a new character. He's new to the MCU in, in general, and they, there are some small MCU tie-ins uh, that will set up some some future films, some future conflicts uh, that I think is done really well. So this is a really good starting point if you've happened to miss the previous 24 um, films. I'm trying to think of anything else worth covering here. I feel like this review is a lot faster than I meant it to be, but... I think it's a movie worth watching. So far, it's all praise. Any other thoughts for recommendations? Well, like we said before, it's it's an origin story, but but it's done better than most. Um, a lot of times, you feel like you got to get the origin story out of the way just so people are familiar with the character. You know, I think of uh, uh, Captain America: The First Avenger or the first first Thor film. Those are kind of throwaways. They're just like okay, just so people know who this is, and then you can move on to the real film. Uh, but we get a really solid first entry of this character. Lots of action. Uh, pretty pretty good laughs. Aquafina. She's I mean she's the com- comedic relief. Um, you know, so it's much stronger than most origin hmm. films yeah, are. I, agree. I think. I, I I really enjoyed this movie more than I thought I was, and and I don't I don't mean to say I was walking in thinking I'm not going to enjoy it, but it's the 25th Marvel movie, right? We've seen plenty of origin stories. I figured yawn. It'll be pretty good. It'll have some fun action. It'll be all right. But no, I, I like the comedy. It felt smart. I like the action. Felt fire, man. The action. This movie's great, and and I enjoyed the overall like. What's going on? So with that being said, Andy, would you recommend Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. There's lots of action. Even if you're not into uh, the superhero thing, I think this one's... it. 
more like i said it's more grounded in in some ways and it's also more fantastical like it's more in the fantasy side less in the uh, uh kind of captain america or iron man uh vein uh it's a lot of fun it's it's funny good action great stars if you're familiar with uh hong kong cinema at all you'll recognize a lot of faces there's <laughs> someone that's in kung fu hustle is oh, in really? this movie as well oh yeah yeah, yeah. and i love k- k- right i think i saw that on imdb trivia yeah yeah, and I think there's actually someone pointed out that there's a Kung Fu Hustle poster yeah. in in his room, or an Aquafina in someone's room. So, um, then that's one of my favorite films of all, of all time. So it's um, yeah, if you're familiar with any any of those films, you'll definitely see some familiar Love faces. So highly recommend. I'd recommend it as well. I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I, I unlike Annette, I feel like I can comfortably say pretty much anybody can go see Shang Chi, and you're gonna have a good time. Like good for the kids, good for the parents, good for the whole family. Go check out Shang Chi. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm very very pleased. I can say it's not lukewarm. It's it's exciting. Like it's good stuff. Go check it out. And with that, we should wrap up the show. Bit of a long one this week, but I enjoyed having Nin on. I shoot. I hope she can come back. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have her back. Come we do, October, do some good horror. we should get her on for maybe like a full, like Halloween. Yeah, we should we should do a couple oh, yeah. like a double feature Recap. or something rad. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, well, hold on, Andy, what are we watching next week? Um, we got a few things coming out. We are definitely going to be watching Malignant, uh, which Speaking is the horror, new yeah. horror film, which, uh, mm-hmm. directed by James Wan that, uh, and that, that's going to be out in theaters and on HBO max. Uh, that comes out this Friday. Uh, there's a few, few other things coming out that we haven't quite decided on. We'll, uh, We'll decide on that later in the week, but that's the big one that, that we're watching. And that uh, I've seen some good trailers from that. That looks uh, kind of scary. So yeah, I, I hope think so. Yeah, there's a couple time. of things coming out. We're not really sure what we're going to watch yet, but we will let you know. It's going to be announced. All right. Yeah. You just you guys don't worry about it. You go see Malignant with us, and we'll uh, you know we'll we'll let you know what it is next week. Better yet, if you have something you think we should watch, write into the show. All right. Check us out off script uh, off script review at gmail.com. You can write in. You can tell us what you think. You can comment. You can you can you can recommend something we should watch, or maybe weigh in on things we have seen before. We're not actually on break next week. Disregard this banner. Just gonna hide that if you're watching on Facebook. Not actually on break. We will be here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So you can check us out at offscriptfilmreview.com, our website. You can see our Facebook live streams where we live stream the show uh, just about every Tuesday when we record at about 5 o'clock CST. Uh, we upload our archives to YouTube as well. You can find us over there at Offscript Film Review. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. But the best thing you can do if you want to get involved with the show, maybe let us know what you think, is just subscribe. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Google, Spotify, wherever you're at. And you can get new episodes of Oscar delivered straight to you every single Tuesday when we do them. With that being said, thanks for listening. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. Thanks for watching. And I'm Dr. Draper. <laughs>